Hi everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Trade Talk podcast here with myself. My name is Sabha Kanwar. I am a 17-year-old student and I am super nervous. <laughs> I'm just so nervous doing this first episode of the podcast. I'm generally not a talker when it comes to conversations, so it's really weird for me to sit in front of a mic and just talk on and on and on. uh but anyway so if you're of course going to continue listening to the podcast you'll see an upward trend in the quality and the level of the podcast itself so i'm going to improve with time and uh yeah i'd love to hear all of your suggestions and feedback uh you can dm me for any suggestions and feedback that you have i'd love to listen to it i'd love to chat with you all if you have any um topic of discussion anyway so uh to introduce myself i am of course a 17 year old student i'm the host of this podcast uh i'm really funny obnoxiously funny as you have no- noticed from right now i'm really not dude <laughs> i'm i'm extremely boring and you'll you'll find out as this podcast goes on as the episodes roll on and you keep hearing you slowly slowly tune out no i really hope not <laughs> but yeah um i'm extremely nerdy i'm really analytical about everything I am a super super um talkative in terms of debating person so I love to argue I love to uh, analyze every single detail every single fact and I love to discuss um uh, with other people on it that's pro- probably why I'm here and also about the boring thing um some people before i started this po- this podcast they came up to me they're like you're doing an economics podcast <laughs> and i was like yeah so what's wrong with that and they're like no but in economics podcast that's so boring dude and i was like well true <laughs> but i love the subject what can i do and then they're like it's the worst of the science and i'm like wait economics is a science <laughs> i didn't know that apparently it is i only found out like some time ago i didn't know until then um uh, but yeah i am an econ student and i'm in love with the subject uh probably you can see that from the fact that i'm making a podcast on it but anyway so <laughs> moving on to the subject of today's episode uh today's episode is on a topic that um i really resonated with when i first started to study economics and when i first got introduced to it uh so much so i'll tell you guys a story so um during the first lockdown of covid there were multiple online model united nation conferences and you guys know those the 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 absolute crappy ones nobody actually cares about them they just go there to win an award or to get experience and i went on one to just see how it would go and um it was an economics conference it was an ecosoc and the the agenda of um the committee it struck me so it connected with me so so amazingly that i never actually stopped thinking about it and that's kind of what got me into the subject and that's a lot of that is what made me fall in love with economics so the topic that i'm covering for today is china's belt and road initiative china's bri project um my many of you might not have even heard about this because it's um one of the least talked about topics for some reason it's the most important aspect of china's uh foreign and economic policy yet it is somehow the least talked about anyway so to introduce uh the listeners to what the bri is it's essentially this trans continental infrastructure based 
uh, investment plan, investment project that aims to connect all of the Eurasian plates. So it aims to connect China to the entirety of, well, okay, actually, they don't say this out loud, but the US's partners, may that be um, countries in the EU, may that be countries in the African continent, may they, may, may they be countries that are uh, neighboring China, so Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, Western Asian, all these kinds of countries. So China aims to basically, I won't say this, I mean, I sound really anti-China right now, but it is a project that China is um, encouraging so it can grasp the entirety of Eurasia and become um, the next superpower, essentially, the next global superpower. Uh, and of course, this isn't mentioned, but when you analyze it, you get to see the fact that China is trying to connect uh, everything back as it was during the time of the ancient Silk Road. Uh, now, I don't know much about the Silk Road. I won't actually, I do. Uh, but uh, as, you, <laughs> as, as, as is most necessary, it was basically an ancient connection between a lot of countries and it was based on um, economic trade, uh, trade of goods. Um, and basically, China became a global trader. And that is what they're trying to duplicate and replicate right now. So the BRI is made of up of two aspects. The first is land routes. So uh, they're trying to make huge ass roads and um, just highways and transport transportation uh, transportation vehicles. So such as trains, uh, railways, um, roads. Ports, that's actually, that's my second, that's the second part of the BR issue. I'm so sorry for that. But anyway, um, they're trying to connect uh, a lot of the, a lot of the Eurasian plate by uh, land. That's the land part of the BR. The second part is through maritime, maritime trade routes. So um, may those be connecting by ports. So um, China is trying to create essentially this huge track of uh, Chinese trade across A, the Indian Ocean and B, the entirety of Eurasia. Uh, may that be to Europe or may that be to Europe, sorry, sorry, uh, or to Russia or to Africa or to uh, Asia, really. So anyway, the point being that the motive for China in this situation is that it's able to create huge, staggering moves to establish trade partners in underdeveloped countries. And B, another motive of it is that China is currently the largest importer and consumer of oil. It is it, Its population and its uh, energy consumption is so high that its needs are exceeding current availability, current uh, supply. So the the very need for the BRI and the, the, the motive that they're trying to push for themselves, of course, still going to be kept under wraps because they're trying to sugarcoat their entire agenda, is so they can reach out to underdeveloped, resource-rich countries and get their resources, natural resources, fossil fuels, gas lines, gas pipelines, and get their natural energy, which is well it's it 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 it, <laughs> it kind of sounds the alarms for um 
it 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 really rings the bells for uh, sustainable development and it says that china while it is trying to push this agenda that um this this point that the bri is going to be a sustainable project that it's going to focus on um environment protection and it's going to be environmentally green uh quote and quotes <laughs> we all know just how evil china can be and we all know that china's foreign policy is to sugar coats its a uh, national interests which we all know are paramount so when we consider the fact that it's going to have these huge ramifications we see how china's sugar coated um wrapping of the project it starts to unveil and that is one of the issues that the bri poses uh, environmental damage now the second uh, point of the bri is that it's trying to connect china to underdeveloped countries and trying to create these huge infrastructural um, margins and achievements and uh, moves in all these underdeveloped developing countries now mind you china is very right with this logic that uh, there is a huge infrastructural gap infrastructural gap in the world and to create a global network of trade you do need to build infrastructure in across the world and the world bank um, the world bank as well as the asian development bank both have projected that around 23 or 26 trillion dollars of infrastructure infrastructural development is required across um the next 10 to 15 years so keeping that in mind china has still been able to incentivize infrastructural projects through the bri however the very problem the very issue is that these countries they don't have an action plan to sustainably execute what the motive of the bri is which is to boost productivity and to boost trade they don't have the resources they don't have the um, the capital they don't have the entrepreneurship and currently they're just lacking well figuratively not not actually not literally they're figuratively lacking the infrastructure and the institutions to sustainably move forward with this infrastructure this 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 construction that's going on and one of the prime examples that we see of countries not being able to handle this infrastructural development is sri lanka so we see currently sri lanka is of course we won't even get to them dude <laughs> it's like kicking a <laughs> it's like kicking a dead man <laughs> it's 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 just going to be really harsh if i begin on sri lanka right now it's that's a whole conversation in itself but sri lanka as we can see right now is currently trapped in so much debt it is unbelievable uh, they have no um, ways of earning they have no surplus anywhere throughout their balance sheets we see that their gdp is declining we see a huge issues that are just plaguing the country and its economy and its social structure as well so when we consider that the bri project it aimed to invest in developing and underdeveloped countries we see how it can become a very large problem for those countries themselves so i'll elaborate on this for example sri lanka what happened in sri lanka was that china built a port in sri lanka on a very um, strategically politically and well uh, military wise it, it was a very important location it's the port is known as hambantota port 
and uh, it was constructed in 2008 by china by chinese construction companies by it was it was funded by chinese banks so uh, exim chinese bank was the bank that funded the project and uh, it it basically aimed to a grow sri lanka's network for trade to uh, to china may that be to africa may that be to um european countries through through the sea route through maritime trade routes that china aims to establish now china may have built the port and they may have given sri lanka this 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 infrastructure to 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 grow however the problem was sri lanka a did not know how to utilize this 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 resource they did not know how to utilize this infrastructure this this piece of infra- infrastructure that they were handed and b they didn't know how to manage their debt their national debt in order to finance the operations of the sport so in 2017 i don't know if you heard this in 2017 the port was leased to a chinese private uh port company a, a conglomerate and uh, it was leased uh, for 99 years at a 70% stake to the chinese company and that included a equity and b all operational profits so all the profits made by the port would 70% of that would go to the chinese company now the problem that we can very evidently and clearly see is that china gave a piece of infrastructure to sri lanka to use to utilize to 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 benefit off of but sri lanka because of the lack of the knowledge and the very uh structure to gain off of it it wasn't able to do anything with that port and due to that sri lanka had to lease the the port to china eventually and it had to let go of all of its profits 70% of profits that are a non existent at this point the, the port has been losing money so it's not really doing anything at all but it's it's the fact that Sri Lanka is now in a worse situation than when when it started and this is a prime example of of predatory lending and we see that China is aiming at investing in countries which don't even have respectable credit ratings when we see sovereign credit ratings Sri Lanka is still better off than about 50% of the countries that China has begun construction projects in some of these countries don't even have investment grades <laughs> some of these countries don't even have credit ratings dude <laughs> the fact that they're investing billions and millions billions of dollars into the, all these countries without any foreseeable or evident plans any execute any cooperation plans any action plans it's so dangerous it's so unstable for those countries and it's just extremely poor management of of finances of of resources and we can see that china may wrap all of this in a beautiful package by saying to countries that if we give you this infrastructure you can trade with the world you can compete with the biggest of um competitors in the world you can boost your economy your your people can get out of poverty they say that but at the end of the day we see that China is the only one who has currently even though this project has been going on for 7 8 years it was announced in 2013 China is the only country that has benefited off of 
the the project they've gained equity in other countries they're gaining um strategic points military points they've they've opened a bloody military base in Djibouti that's China's only uh military base overseas and it's also very coincidentally it is about <laughs> it is about walking distance from a US military base in Djibouti too how about that <laughs> china be like no we're just going to friendly we're just going to be extremely friendly and just going to sit right beside you nothing to do we have no intents whatsoever <laughs> they've gained a strategic port in uh, the, the the entirety of the indian ocean and it's going to lead to benefits to it's going to lead to benefits for china and china solely and the problem that i see that currently all and all i'd say western capitalists are also able to see may that be only because they're anti china as well i'm not anti china i sound like it but i'm really not it's just that china has has the right logic that they're using but the wrong execution with this plan and that's the entire issue behind it it's like saying that we want to make <laughs> we want to make pigs fly <laughs> but to do that we're going to put helicopter blades on their <laughs> on their heads and they're going to fly like that that's not true that's not how it is that's not how it works they can't just they can't just throw money and throw infrastructure onto a country that doesn't have the infrastructure that doesn't have the resources that, that doesn't have the institutes to gainfully use those and expect there to be growth among everybody and it also can't expect well open minded and careful economists to look at this and just say oh it's completely safe because it is going to really fracture the global economy if the project continues at the rate that it is if china continues to inject billions of dollars into these countries and it's just <laughs> it's just it's just extremely predatory right now it just looks like china's the, the big brother preying on all these small 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 countries and yeah anyway so guys that's my take on china's bri policy um i know it sounded anti china like crazy but i have i all my all my wishes are with <laughs> she don't worry <laughs> No no like I I actually have a lot of high hopes for the project don't worry because at the end of the day these developing countries they face issues and they face um conditions that none of us have even seen in the entire world we've never seen them in our lives and I truly hope that the project is able to come to fruition just that China's intense right now look towards their social and their socio economic and military plans and intents which are well only of china's gain anyway that's my take on china's bri policy um thank you so much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed and i'll see you guys in the next one